This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. How's everybody? Y'all warmed up yet? Well, today we are right in the middle of a series that we've called Legacy, and really that series is built around this one simple idea that our our lives, our lives right now are building the legacy that we're going to leave behind. And so we've kind of approached it by asking if, if our lives are going to build the legacy that we will inevitably leave behind, wouldn't we want to be intentional about having a plan to go into life? Wouldn't we want to build a life that's going to leave a significant legacy? I mean, if, if we went to build anything, we're going to have a plan. And so in the first week, we looked at a, a small component of that, that plan, but it makes a big difference. And it's the same thing that we would look at first if we were going to build anything from a from a house to, to a, a new movie theater, we, we would always start by looking at the foundation first. We'd start building by looking at the foundation. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus teaches us about foundations and tells us that there are things that we can build our lives on that are not very solid. If you know anything about foundations, you, you want to have a solid foundation. You don't want to have the kind of foundation that Jesus describes in the Gospel of Luke as being a foundation that shifts. Anytime a foundation shifts, it destroys the structure that was built on top of it. There are good things that we can build our lives on that make bad foundations, relationships, feelings, those kind of things. But Jesus invites us to build our life on him. Because he's not going to move. He describes his teachings as a rock. That if we would build our lives on that rock, it would never be shaken. Because there are storms that are coming. There's difficulty that's going to come. And if our lives are built on the right foundation, the structure built on top of that foundation is not going to be moved. So if we build the right foundation, and the second week we started asking, well, how then do we build a life? How do we construct it? And we looked at, if, if you're going to build a home... You're going to build a home based on what your priorities are. If your priorities are we want to have intimacy in our in our family, we want to spend time together, you have a very open floor plan so that there aren't walls that divide you, right? If you're a cook and uh, put a lot of priority into family time at at the uh, supper time, you're probably going to have a dining area and a big kitchen, right? In the same way priorities should define how our lives are built. And so we went to what Jesus said in Matthew when Jesus was questioned about what what would make a a significant legacy. Jesus, what are your priorities? What do you care about? And Jesus said it's real simple. We make this very complicated, but Jesus, in the way that great teachers do, made it very simple. He said, you just need to love God and love people. That's what Jesus did. Did the will of the Father. He loved people. And last week we looked at the legacy that Jesus left behind. I think we would all agree that Jesus left a pretty significant legacy. That's why we're here today. So if we want to leave a significant legacy, we're going to have to um, kind of live our lives guided by those priorities. And I, I think 
today, we, we need to ask the question, well, well God, if, if I if build my life on the right foundation and, and I build the structures based on the right priorities, well then, how do I turn that into a life? Now, just so you know, ahead of, ahead of a schedule is next week, we have a, a very special message. If this is your church home, I really want you to be here next week. Because next week, we're going to look at the Bible and look at what I think God wants to be the legacy of our church. Okay, and so this is going to be one of the first times in, in, a, in a more public forum that I'm going to share some long-term vision, what I think God can do through our church over the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. All right, so we're going to talk about that next week. I, I would love for you to be here because there's going to be uh, some things that you're going to go, ah, now that makes sense. All right, I just would encourage you to be here for that. But this week, it's kind of a question of, well, all right, if I get the right foundation. I, I build the walls the way that God says based on the right priorities. So well, what's next? I mean, how do I turn that, that structure into something that's alive? You see, I think really it kind of parallels the difference between a house and a home, right? And there are structures all over the county that we would look at and say that's a house, but that doesn't mean that house is our home or that that house is anyone's home. There's a big difference between a house and a home. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share three thoughts on that, and I think it helps us understand the difference between just building a structure and actually building a life. The first thing is that a house is impersonal, but a home is very personal. That's why when you go to hire a realtor, no good realtor is going to say, hey, let's go find you a house. Realtors will tell you, hey, I want to find the right home for your family. Why are they doing that? This is marketing right? Because home is personal. It's something that we all want. We all want a home. We all want the right home. And there's a big difference between a house and a home. A home is personal. It's where my heart and my life is lived out. And there's a big difference between just building the right priorities in life and actually building the right life. Second thought, that, that a house is a structure, but, but a home actually structures your life. And some of y'all have experienced this because you have different parts of your house that you do different things in. You cook in the kitchen, you go to the bathroom in the bathroom. Don't confuse those two rooms, right? right? That would not be good. And some of you moms that have little kids, right? You understand that the bathroom is the only place that you get any privacy at all. And some of y'all just wish, I just want to go to the bathroom by myself. Y'all just don't come in here with me, please. Shut the door and lock it because I need some privacy. And, you know, the, the truth is, is that the structure of our home structures our life. And the same way when we put our lives together, however you have put your life together, it structures your life. And if we get the structures out of whack, it definitely begins to get our lives out of whack as well. And the last thing is that a home is empty. Just a home, but a house. A house is filled with people and possessions. And really it's filled with life. You see, it's quite possible to put together a life that has the right and, and good priorities, but there is no life in that life. 
Absolutely no life. It's lifeless. And in Jesus' day, he dealt with a group of people who had done that. There, there were a group called the Pharisees. They were kind of what we would say today was like the religious group, the, the priest and the preachers. So imagine that in our town today, we had a collective of, of pastors that got together. And these guys studied the Bible together. And they, they performed the, the duties of a pastor together. And they were responsible for teaching and educating. And that's really what the Pharisees were. They knew the Bible better than any of us ever hoped to know it. And they lived out each of those commandments. They, they even, even went so deep to try to understand what God wanted. That in ceremonial washings, right? The, the cleansing that the priest would do before he actually did the priestly duties. They debated amongst themselves whether you should wash your hands, rubbing your hands vertically or horizontally. They wanted to do exactly what the Bible said. And then Jesus meets these and he describes them. These men and men who have these great priorities, he describes them as whitewashed tombs. In other words, you have the right paint on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You see, it's quite possible to have good priorities and have the wrong life. It's quite possible to have good priorities and have the wrong life. And we see that probably the most evident that we see it is in the life of a young man that we meet in the book of Acts. See, Acts is a story that unfolds after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is, is shown and, and speaks for a moment, and then he ascends into heaven. One of those really awkward scenes of the Bible. Can we imagine Jesus going up on a cloud up into the sky? But that's what the scriptures record. And then the church is left without Jesus. And by the time we get to the book of Acts and the end, the gospel is not just being preached locally there in Jerusalem. It has reached the center of Rome, the center of the Western world. It is being preached in Rome itself. And we meet in Acts chapter 7, a young man named Saul. You see, in Acts 7, we have recorded for us the execution of a young preacher. His name was Stephen. Stephen refused to be quiet about Jesus, refused to shut up about what God had done in his life. And so he was arrested, he was tried, he was convicted, and then he was sentenced to be executed for preaching Jesus. And you think you had a bad week, right? Not only is he, he's not going to get any kind of like lethal injection treatment. Stephen is going to be stoned. That means he's going to be executed by a group of men who would gather around him and with large stones, they would throw rocks at him until he was dead. Thoroughly brutal. And at the end of Acts 7, the group of men the cohort who are there to execute Stephen, lay their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. A man who was at the center of the execution. 
we know that he's young and he's passionate. He's a Pharisee himself. He believes in God desperately. He has studied the scriptures thoroughly. And this man, Saul, looks at the way of Jesus and describes it as a heresy. And the people who believe in Jesus are taking away from the truth of the Bible. And so they need to be silenced. And he silences them by killing him. In Acts 9, as Acts 9 opens, we read this verse, Acts 9, 1. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So passionate about what he felt was right that he was willing to kill those people that he thought were wrong. He goes to the Sanhedrin, to the council that was kind of in charge of all of these affairs and gets permission to head to Damascus, Syria from Jerusalem so that he can take the church that's in Damascus and destroy it. Execute everyone that believes in Jesus and along the way, if he found anyone who confessed Jesus, he was going to kill them too. Until Acts 9 verse 3. And let's read that together. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Right outside of Damascus, on his way to kill his disciples, Saul comes face to face with Jesus. And in that moment, his life is forever altered. In that moment, actually, the history of the church is forever altered. Because this Saul would have his name changed to become Paul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul, who is the man at the end of the book of Acts who's standing in Rome preaching the gospel. He would write by volume two-thirds of the New Testament. So let me tell you something today. Never underestimate the power of a moment. Never underestimate the power of a moment because in that moment, in that one moment, everything changed. See, around here we like to talk about our relationship with God, our life with Jesus to be described this way, that life is really a journey to place Jesus at the center of our lives. So we're constantly learning how to make him the center. It's not just a destination that Jesus is the center of our lives and our lives wrap around him. That's where we came up with the name Vortex, that that's what a life really should look like. You see, in, in that, there, just like any journey or any anything that we're endeavoring to do. There's, there's a process and then there's a product and far too many of us get caught up in the product, what something is actually producing that we forget the process. You're all gonna experience this in just a few weeks. 
Because over the next few weeks, you're all going to eat like a bunch of fools. And you're going to gain like 10 to 15 pounds between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I, I, I mean, I'm fluffy already. I don't know what Christmas cookies going to do to me this year. I mean, it's just not going to be fair, right? And then what happens when January rolls around? We say, well, I need to get in shape. I need to lose me some weight. I've just put up my pants don't fit good anymore. I got I to gotta do it. And so what happens? What do we do? We go out and we buy some exercise DVDs and we get a gym membership and we go work out a couple times and we go, uh-uh, I ain't doing this anymore. And we go to the health place and we go in there and we go, hey, y'all got a diet pill or something? Because see, it's the end that we're concerned about. It's the product. We don't value the process. See, here we want to teach you that in life we have to learn to value the process. The people who actually experience the end and and it sustains them and it is something that brings life to them, they they value the process. You see, your your people who, not, not just skinny people that run, but your people that run, right, there's people like Seth back there ran a marathon yesterday. He's here at 5.30 setting up. He, he just runs, and he's like, he weighs like 30 pounds when he's wet, right? He can do that. But you people who, who just are recreational runners, they, they like running. It's not that they have to train for a 5K. They just go run a couple times a week because they enjoy the process of it. And people who sustain themselves in these journeys find value in the process. That's why I would tell you today that if we find more value in the process, it will inevitably find more value in what it's producing. But we have to value the process in life. In life, moments are the process. In life, moments are the process. And one moment, one moment can change everything. One simple moment can change the whole landscape of our lives. I have that moment. I have several of them, actually. You probably do, too. When I was a a senior at South Stanley High School, we just first started offering AP classes, and I qualified to take AP English. I have no idea how I qualified to take AP English because I graduated with a solid 2.0 in high school. Right? I mean, that's a strong low C average. I mean, that's, I have no idea how I got in there. And in the third nine weeks, our, our great teacher decided that he would spend the whole third nine weeks studying the Canterbury Tales. He would uh, assign each of us, there weren't very many people in the class, uh, one of the Canterbury Tales. And we would go through these, these different projects and then we would present. And that way we would learn the Canterbury Tales from the class as we did this project based learning assignment. It was simple. It was just a test, a paper, and an oral report. When it came time for me to do my oral report, going down the road calling people, he called me and I said, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not. I was like, well, I mean, you're going to get a zero. I was like, I'm prepared to take a zero. It means in that moment, I, I had already decided the best possible grade I will take this is this nine weeks is going to be a 66. I'll take a zero. I don't want to stand up in front of my class and talk. Our vice principal, who I was very familiar with at this point, uh, 
Called me into her office the next day. Dr. Annabelle Morgan sat me down and said, Kevin, your teacher came and talked to me. Said that you're not going to do this oral report. Why aren't you going to do that? And I said, to be honest with you, I don't want to talk to my class. I don't want to stand up in front of them. Kind of intimidated by it. I don't really want to do it. But she looked at me. She said, Kevin, I think they need to hear what you have to say. For the first time in my life. The idea that what I said might have some value for someone else struck me. I mean, that was one of those moments. You have those moments. And some of your moments aren't great, right? Some of us have moments that have forever changed our lives that were really difficult. So today what I would like to do is to spend the next few moments helping you understand how to squeeze the most out of every moment that we face. How to capture those moments and turn those moments into a legacy because our legacies are often defined by the memories that we share with someone, aren't they? Aren't they? You remember something that happened with someone and in that moment you learned something and there's a legacy that's left and it's a lot bigger than just that moment right now because moments will become significant memories. And those memories draft a legacy. Let me tell you something today. All of your lives are telling a story. Every single one of you. Now, the story of your life may never be written down in a book. Our lives may never be recorded in an autobiography. Nobody may never do that. But the people that you love, the people that are around you, the people that you interact with every day are reading the story of your life every single moment. And if we don't learn to capture those moments, we'll never be able to leave the kind of significant legacy that God wants to leave. So to capture those moments, the first thing that we need to do is we need to learn to receive moments. We need to learn to receive moments. The Bible never once makes a promise that if we would come to Jesus and follow him, that everything is going to be happy and go lucky from that point on. The Bible does promise that Jesus is better than any other thing that we could choose and that our life with him, our life following him is going to satisfy us in a way that only he can. But it does not void our lives of difficulty. Think about Stephen. A young man who had only weeks before decided to follow Jesus. And here Stephen is because he refuses to renounce Jesus, being stoned to death in public. 
thousands of years later, halfway around the world. We're talking about Stephen today. Because he left in that moment a legacy that would help to shape the future of the church. As a matter of fact, as he's being executed, he preaches one of the most significant sermons preached in all the Bible in Acts 7. And if you look at the the transition of Saul to Paul, you have to understand that God used that message to plant a seed in the heart of that young man named Saul who would eventually become the significant figure in the church. We have to learn to receive moments because God's gifts to us are not always comfortable. They're not always easy. But we need to learn to receive them. In the past few months, if you've paid attention to the news, there have been several young women who have had inoperable brain tumors that were cancerous. Two of them choosing to go two different directions. One who's semi-local, realizing that her faculties were failing her, decided to end her own life in what she felt would be a dignified way. Now, I'm not going to make any comment on that, but I will compare her to a young woman who was a young basketball player in the Midwest who, as a, a college athlete, didn't run from her moment, actually ran to it, and her team rallied around her, and they chose to start their season early. And the first two college basketball games were played weeks early this year so that she, before this tumor took its devastating effects, so that she could participate and play basketball with her team. She she was willing to receive the moment and make the most out of it that it could be. And we, if we're going to capture the moments of life, we have to be willing to receive them. The second thing we have to do is we have to be, we have to, we need to become experts at creating moments. We need to become experts at creating moments. And if you have kids, Really, you have a a, a daily invitation to learn how to create moments. Because they're constantly looking to you for attention. You know, the other week, maybe just a week ago, I had to drop my my wife off and my son, and they had had some business that they had to do. And my daughter's at this age where she um, really misses her mom when she leaves. And so... She started crying and crying and crying and crying. So I'm in the car with her while she's crying. And I, I feel absolutely worthless at this moment because I'm not mom and I cannot be mom. And so uh, we were actually downtown here in Albemarle. I dropped um, uh, Amanda and, and my son Clayton off. And I, I took Adelaide to our office. And I, I, I looked at her and I said, what can we do to make this moment awesome right now? And then the way that only a a three-year-old girl can do. She said, Daddy, can we turn your office into a make-believe ice cream parlor? You bet we can. And so for the next 20 minutes while we were waiting on her mom, we did that. And she took a banana and smushed it up and pretended for the next, you know, however long that it was ice cream and made me eat it. And uh, 
It was pretty, it was pretty fun. And, and really, your, your lives are filled with those opportunities to create a moment. You know, we need moments that provide joy, but we, we need other kinds of moments too. And we have to create them. We have to create moments that allow us to gain perspective. You have to, in your life, be willing to create moments where you get out of your comfort zone and you're around people that have less than you. That's why there's great significance in being the kind of person who's willing to go volunteer, to go feed homeless and less fortunate. Because when you're willing to do that kind of work, when you're willing to go and to be a part of something and and to give your time and effort into something like that, you gain a perspective on that. We have to become experts at creating moments. Think about, think about Paul about Paul as he's walking on the road to Damascus. I mean, he's literally on the way to go murder Christians and here he comes in face to face with the Savior. Jesus interrupts his plans. And that brings me to the third thing that we have to become experts at. We have to become experts at being willing to to rescue a moment. Because in that moment, the Apostle Paul experiences something that only God can give him. That's rescue. You see, there are going to be things in life that are not easy. You're going to look inside your heart and feel scared and weak when it comes time to do the things that God tells you to do. But we have to be the kind of people that rescue those moments. Parents, your kids are going to get scared. It's your job to rescue those moments and teach them that they can trust Jesus. Husbands, your, your wives are going to become discouraged and they're going to get emotional from time to time. It's our job to comfort them, but to remind them that Jesus is the ultimate comforter and that he is the rock that their emotions need to be built on top of. You see, those difficult moments need to be rescued. I don't know that I can think of a better example recently than the story that's come out of Auburn football this year. Recently, in the past few years, if you've followed football, Philip Leptenkirchen, who was one of the great tight ends to ever play for, for Auburn, was injured and his football career ended. And right before this football season started, he was in an automobile accident and died. I mean, it's a tragic story. 
because there was so much potential. A, a young man who had lived his life so disciplined, so, so hardworking, had, had been such a great football player, leads Auburn in history as the most, the tight end who has the most touchdown receptions. I mean, his, his memorial service had to be held in a football stadium. There were so many people that responded to it. And his dad, who, who is devastated, if, if you've ever, you know, been that, that dad that's so proud of your son, is devastated with this news, but his dad didn't let the news stop there. His dad this year decided that he wanted to travel all over the United States and to speak to football teams and share the story of his son. And what he says is that you can learn from his first 22, 23 years, that discipline and hard work pays off. And from his last couple days, you can learn that bad mistakes can have tragic consequences. You see, he decided to rescue that moment. I don't know if you're like me, my life was on a road that was a lot like that road that the Apostle Paul was walking on. It was headed towards death. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And then there was this moment where Jesus intersected my story. And in that moment, my story was rescued and everything changed. You see, your, your story right now, the story that you're telling with your life, no, nobody may read that in a book one day. But the people that you live with, the people that you love, they're reading your story every single moment. And as they read your story, as those moments go by, your life is leaving a legacy. Let's pray. God, today, we just look to you with the moments of our lives and we recognize that each moment, whether good or difficult, is a gift from you and so, God, we ask you to help us understand that. God, that we could use it. God, that we could harness the power of each moment to build a life that is pleasing to you, that would leave a legacy that honors you. Now, with nobody looking around today, I want to ask you if, if you need a moment. Maybe, maybe right now your life looks a little bit like Saul traveling down that road. You know that your life is not going the direction that it needs to. And you're in desperate need of experiencing a moment 
with Jesus, a moment with him that could change everything. And if you don't know that, this moment right now can be that moment. Maybe today you're here and you know, I I need Jesus to come and change everything. I want him to be the center of my life. He's not been the center of my life. He's maybe been a part and I thought he's a good thing, but I've never made him the center. Maybe today you need that moment. If that's you and you would recognize that that's you today, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than raise your hand. But if that's you and you realize today, I need Jesus. I need this moment with him. Raise your hand right now. Nobody's looking. Who else? Who else? Maybe you're here today and you would say, I I have not been going through the moments in life the way I need to. I've been looking at difficult problems but not receiving them. Failed to create the kind of moments I need to. And I need to learn to rescue these things. If that's you and you say, hey, I just need help, God, taking these moments of life and learning to write a story. If that's you, raise your hand right now. There's lots of us. So God, for those of us that are here that desperately need you, God, we ask you to come to write our stories, God. To write a story through our lives that's so powerful and so profound that people sit back and look at it and go, that's only, that's only Jesus. That can only be him. So God, we thank you for the invitation to let you be the author of our stories. And we rest in that. Jesus, we pray. Amen.